For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'd like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk with Zuby. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about life, relationships, and all that other good stuff. I have got Dr. Taylor Burroughs, who is a relationship and mental health counselor and an all-around awesome lady. How are you doing, Taylor? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. You're very welcome. I do my best. So where are you right now? I'm in Grand Cayman in the Cayman Islands, so I reside here. I'm from here originally, but um, I lived in the States for 18 years for school mostly, and I came back, uh, but now I'm, I'm transitioning out, so I, I won't be here much longer permanently. Okay, so you've got some decent weather, which I wish I had. Yes, although I would love to be outside a little bit more frequently right now. I'm getting very pale, <laughs> so um, I need to make sure that that's uh, on the agenda, daily agenda especially. Awesome. It is lovely. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I'm, it's like one degree here, I think. Oh, yeah, that's cold. Yeah, so I'm not having too much fun. So tell us a little bit more about your story and your background. So where you grew up, what it was like for you growing up, what's your... What's your story? <laughs> Background in regards to my family and, and how I grew up is, is always interesting to share because I did that tweet the, yesterday probably about or the day before that I'm not Caucasian because a lot of people um, don't know what I am. And uh, I, I don't know what was the catalyst now for me saying that, but there are some. Oh, I remember um, I was talking to somebody about the hate that I've been getting like the opposition that I've been getting to my tweets. And they said, it's it's because you're white. And I'm like, mm. Oh, that old chestnut. You know, I think you might be wrong there. But they, <laughs> <laughs> but they may assume I'm white. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. But it, yeah. So, I mean, whether you call it white or not, I think there's different interpretations of that. But I'm not Caucasian if we're looking at like more like a race thing. So, obviously, I'm a mix. But I have a Jamaican father and an American mother, and my mother, uh, she's got like Cherokee in her, so she's very, she's got dark hair, very sort of pointy features, strong bone structure, very tall, she's taller than I am, and uh, my father, dark hair, he's mixed, um, you know, there's different, all a whole bunch of variation in Jamaica, and yeah. he would be considered a white Jamaican in Jamaica, but it, he's mixed. And so like both of his parents are from Jamaica. He's fifth generation Jamaican. My sister and brother were born and raised in Jamaica. Uh, but I was a late, a late child. So my father was 66 when I was born. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so we had already moved to the Cayman Islands. And that's how I got here. But a lot of people don't know, which it'll be good to tell people that the Cayman Islands used to be a colony of Jamaica. And Jamaica was a colony of the UK. 
So Jamaica went independent and Cayman stayed under the crown, but that's why our heritages are very close. And that's the sort of the connection between the UK, Jamaica and Cayman anyway. <laughs> the Cayman Islands, that's somewhere I've never actually been to. So what's it like there? Like, I've just never been. So I'm curious. It's, it's very, very small. It's flat. It's a hundred square miles total with three islands, but the main island is the majority of it. So the population is about 65,000 people. Okay. Uh, and, and half of the population is expatriate. So it's a very interesting mix because we actually are, the indigenous people are not the majority. Okay. In a very small area that is, you know, injected with money from other places. So mm -hmm. we, we feel very marginalized in our own country. So we have this sense of pride about us okay. that's in light, like entitled and almost resentful. It's, it's come to that point because we have to fight for our own rights a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting. So there's this mentality, like this scarcity mentality that I, I, I can't stand. Um, I've talked a lot about crabs in a bucket and being brought up in that sort of mentality and having my own difficulties growing up here. Part of the reasons why I left was because of the sense of competition and limited resources or limited attention. Uh, so women were very competitive with each other and just being exposed, being a big fish in a small pond. So, I mean, it's beautiful. The land, you know, it, it's the most beautiful beaches in the Caribbean and, and up there for the world. And it's a very easy lifestyle. You know, I really appreciate all the benefits of living here. And it's going to be difficult to, to not have that at my fingertips. But it's very expensive. Now, our, our dollar is worth more than the U.S. dollar. It's about the same as the euro. So okay. our living expenses are quite high. So for me, just being self-employed for just over six months, it's tricky, you know? So yeah, I'm not going out very much, but I love what I do. I love doing the work, um, but I do the news as well. I don't know if you saw that. So I do the evening news, the Cayman 27 evening news anchor. So that's oh, fun. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, had, I had no idea about that one. <laughs> Yeah, I act a lot. I've done a lot of films here. So I've been, that's probably the best thing about being being here um, is the opportunities, being a big fish in a small pond, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you, there's not many opportunities that you have to do everything that you've ever wanted at a high level or at least the highest level that you can in a place. So that's been, because I was on the national team, the national beach volleyball team as well for seven years. So I did all of that at the same time, you know, like PhD, okay. working, training, acting, like everything. Like, when do you get to do all of that at the same time? That's almost impossible just because of travel <laughs> restrictions, right? Yeah, yeah. Let, let's start with the basics. So in terms of the work that you do, the core work you do around the counseling and stuff like that. How did you get into it? What did you do your PhD in? Is that related? How did you mm -hmm. get into it all? Yes. What's the story? I've been very focused in regards to the academic side of things. Um, I, when I went to my first exposure to psychology was in high school, we had a psychology course. I was a very, you know, high achieving student. And I was actually going to go into engineering because I was very, very strong in math. Um, and some sciences, not all, but um, very strong in math. And I, when I took this psychology course, uh, I just fell in love with the topics and, and thinking about human behavior and the science behind that. And so when I went to college, I was given, and I went to Tulane in New Orleans for my undergrad. Um, I was given, I had the opportunity to just take whatever classes I wanted to because I didn't have to take the first year of prerequisites. Mm -hmm. So I just, I was exploring and I ended up getting like a 4.0 my first year taking like philosophy, psychology and sociology classes. And, um, and you know, it, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. So I stuck with it and I ended up triple majoring in those three. And then I had to choose one and I chose counseling. Well, I got the degree in psychology, but then I went on to get my master's in counseling. And uh, that's when I started to really delve into sexual trauma. I went on to do the PhD in marriage and family therapy and did my dissertation on sexual trauma in the Cayman Islands. So I came back here because I wanted to do it in my country, for my people, with my people. That was from 2004. I started it. 
and I completed, I graduated in 2014. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 10 years in total. <laughs> That's just the doctorate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's been a very long time coming. And what happened was it had a huge effect on me is the point. So if we bring this into, you know, normal life, I got married during this time and I'm okay. now divorced. Right. So some of the mistakes that I made leading to that divorce had to do with my, my mental state, my mind, my mindset, because I was so, and this goes into the masculine feminine. So I'm going to bring it in, bring it around for you to make that, it that's all relevant good. context. Um, I was uber masculine. I was super driven. I needed to succeed. I needed to be the best. And that's also, it started in, in my childhood with that competitive mindset, uh, limited resources kind of thing. And it just kept getting perpetuated and with all my, because my father died, my brother died. There was a lot of things that just sort of like narrowed my focus to, I have to get this done. I have to be great at this. I have to make them proud. I, you know, yeah, lots of psychology there. And then um, once I finished and all that pressure got released, I could finally start to be myself again. And it was a gradual and then all of a sudden kind of thing. Uh, I did my first film here. Because I, I left, one of the reasons why I left K-Man was to do acting and modeling. And I did. I get, got an agent. I did that for like two years. Um, had a film coach and everything. So that was always a big passion of mine. I've always been an actress. And so when I got back into it after I finished my doctorate, I realized after I filmed that film that that was the first time I felt like myself in at least 10 years. And it was a huge awakening for me. And I, I just sort of reexamined my life. And I'm like, whose life am I in? You know, mm -hmm. like what, what is this contrived box that I felt like I needed to, you know, create to prove something to someone, to be good at something, to be res respected. What I, I just, I looked at it. I did a lot of yoga. I did a lot of meditation daily. And I just got further and further away from the life that I was in and recognized that I needed to overhaul everything. Yeah. <laughs> So when you said you got back to your authentic self or you felt for the first time in 10 years that you could really be you, what exactly do you mean by that? What was the discrepancy between what you were doing or how you were acting and thinking versus what you would consider your true self? Well, one, I'm just a real like loner, I guess. I don't know. Like I, I'm, a, I'm always sort of controversial and I do my own thing and um, don't really play by the rule book sort of thing. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm also very feminine and I had been so How masculinized <laughs> that <laughs> it was just, I realized, well, I realized more recently about the whole, um, red pill sort of stuff, um, being that last missing piece that I needed, but recognizing that I had, I was a feminist and I didn't even realize it. Like I, I didn't call myself a feminist, but I lived in effect. I was a feminist and I blamed everything on the patriarchy, you know, and everything that was wrong with the sexual trauma and all the problems of the world. And once I, I recognized that, well, I'm still sort of articulating it. I'm going to do my own post on how did I change? Uh, basically, a lot of the premise of my 10 year doctoral research that comes to that conclusion that it's all the patriarchy's fault. That was the conclusion of the of their PhD yeah, work. Basically. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the plot thickens. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. So I, I'm, I still, that's actually like on my immediate agenda is to articulate that, but it's complex, complex and nuanced for sure. It's all sort of the, the like vortex was around this marriage too. Right. So I, I did, I played out the, the perfect mistake, <laughs> just marrying a beta man um, for the wrong reasons, but I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was doing the right thing yeah. that everybody told me I was supposed to do. Okay. So when you say everyone, do you mean the feminist worldview, everyone, or do you mean another? Yeah. Well, everybody, you know, just my mother for sure. Um, love her to death. But she, you know, she definitely ingrained in me, marry a man that loves you more. I did a video on this. You got to see it. It's me talking about why I'm still single and why I ended up leaving my husband and recognizing that I had been in such um, 
turmoil in my relationships, like always being heartbroken and disappointed and just felt so out of sorts and needing love in a certain way, you know, like looking for love, but in the wrong way. Like I was using, you know, the rules that feminism taught me. <laughs> and uh, what are those rules? So, I'm curious. Well, it's, it's hard for me to think backwards now. So let, hold on one second. That's so okay. with, with my husband, he was the antithesis of all that. So he, he gave me love. He gave me loyalty. He gave me security. He was no risk, like mm -hmm. zero risk. And at the time, I felt that that's exactly what I needed because I, 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 I was desperate in a way, you know, like just mm -hmm. desperate and, and torn up from the, 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 the washing machine of relationships and, and dating and stuff like that. And sure. so we dated for a while and we had a lot of, you know, very nice experiences and, but there was no sexual attraction. Um, so that was a big red flag from the very beginning. You know, there were nothing, nothing really lined up values, lifestyle, like he's not active. Um, he's super enmeshed with a huge family and is all about following the rules. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so it was just, it was the exact opposite of who I am and who I wanted to be and the life I wanted to lead, but I really didn't, I didn't see that at the time. I didn't even, I wasn't even myself at the time, right? So I was under this, um, I don't know, like just this constrained mentality and, and, and not expressing myself properly. So, you know, we went on, it ended up being three years of marriage. And then it was just, it was inevitable that we weren't, weren't working out. So he was never going to end it. Um, so I had to be the one to initiate that process. Oof, that's heavy stuff. Um, wow. Well, I'm trying to think of the right way to formulate this question. That's like put, that's put so much into my brain that I'm like, Hmm, you said, obviously you, you can't exactly go back and put yourself in that previous mindset that you were in. So maybe a better question is what shift have you had in your mindset since then that makes you, I'm assuming that now you feel like you are being your authentic self and you're doing what you actually want to be doing and you're saying what you want to be saying. So what's the shift there? Not caring what people think has <laughs> been the biggest okay. one, right? Yeah. I mean, just worrying about the image that you're projecting and how people react to it uh, was definitely a prison that I lived in. Uh, and being able to really just remove myself from that sort of mindset. Just, yeah, I mean, I've always been a very expressive person. I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but you can tell people that have been around me through this process, there's a stark contrast between sort of the energy that I had pre and post epiphany or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so now it's just a matter of not being even anxious, like even as simple as that, you know, like I used to have so much anxiety and now I just, I don't, I don't experience anxiety like I used to. There's little, you know, little bits here and there. Um, but I've also just removed a lot of things in my life that would create that, you know? So I okay. think a lot of it is just being, being self, self-sufficient, <laughs> you know, being strong enough to be alone. A lot of women are not strong enough to be alone mm -hmm. and that creates a lot of problems for them. They become codependent. Uh, they act out, they get themselves into precarious situations, and then they just have to deal with it. Like they, if they end up with a guy or they get pregnant or whatever the case may be, whether sure. it's they don't have an ability to, to make money for themselves or they're not willing to, to, to do it. Mm -hmm. And so they just become financially dependent on somebody. Lots of different reasons why. But if you're able um, to be single, and I mean literally alone, not party girl single, you know what yeah. I mean? Your, your personality becomes much more uh, just reinforced and resilient and you're able to self-regulate. And all of that is, I think, the most important thing um, that has changed for me is not looking to other people to make me feel better or validated or anything like that. I understand that. So here's a question. This might be, um, this might be a tricky one, but where do you place the line between strong, independent woman and not a typical rah-rah feminist type who I know you're not and you right. sound like you're quite opposed to. Like for you personally, where is that line? Because I mean, strong, independent woman is like a 
funny phrase to me at this point. It's a little bit of a cliche, right? When someone says, oh, strong, like that can mean so many different things to so many different people. Like when I hear strong, independent woman, because <laughs> of some of these cliches, it's like sometimes I view that almost as like a red flag because oftentimes people say that to insinuate what they really mean is like, honestly, an overbearing, annoying, bite your head off, unpleasant to be around with angry feminist type, to put it really simply. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, you know, like, you know, but I know plenty of women who would fit that definition, strong, independent woman, including, you know, my, my sisters, my mother to a degree, obviously, you know, she doesn't need to be independent technically because she's been with my dad for 40 plus years. But I don't know. I just feel like that phrase has been used so much and misused so much that it can be really tricky to understand where that line is. So strong and independent are good are good features, obviously, but that mm -hmm. can easily venture back into what you were talking about, about being masculine, about being masculine, being overly competitive and just being unpleasant and hostile, in fact, to the opposite sex. A few things there, you know, making some good points. The way that I distinguish it is from the opposite is the realization that when you are seeking a partner, mm -hmm. that goes away. That you're, all of this is for you to be able to, to be a healthy human being. But then also you select a partner that you're going to be able to bring down the walls for. Whereas strong independent women in a feminist way mean I don't need no man. Right. So if if you are going to be truly committed and, and loyal and in this life with your partner, you have to forego all others, really, you know, mm -hmm. and that is a concept that I think people underestimate. You know, they don't really recognize the the weight of that yeah. when they say their vows. Um, it's something that's very taken for granted as a marriage therapist and someone who's been through it. I literally cried at the altar and I didn't know why I just busted up into <laughs> tears and now I know why but I didn't at the time and the words are very heavy and they mean a lot and I must have known somewhere I mean I was like very stoic my whole leading up like the week of my wedding all this chaos was happening around me we changed location at the very last minute and I just went blank yeah. and you know let it all happen around me but uh if you actually take it seriously, if you're, if you're, if you're, you're marrying the right person and, and it's not like I'm a marriage pusher, like you can be in a long-term relationship. I'm really monogamy is my thing. So whether gotcha. you're married or not, but people who do get married, get married way too easily, way too lightly and, and frivolously. Um, and I think that it should be a lot harder to get married and easier to get divorced because once you hit that point where you know this isn't isn't going to work and you've and you've already like realized that you've selected the wrong partner it's a, it's a lot healthier to let that process happen um without too much conflict uh now if you have children and everything it obviously gets much more complicated but luckily I didn't have any well luckily I didn't have any children then I would like to have children yeah. um I still have some time so working on that but yeah, I mean, I think that it's important not to not to assume that strong, independent or those characteristics are bad, but that the people who use them, what, what do they really mean by that? And I think yeah. a lot of times it, it means this um, this controlling. Uh, they want to actually be in control of their relationship. They want to mm -hmm. dominate their male partner and they don't they don't actually say that they want to dominate, but that's in effect what they want to do. And I did kind of yeah. live in this mindset. So I'm being very honest. I was wearing the pants in my relationship with my ex-husband and I had to because he literally was weak. Like he was unemployed for two years and it was very frustrating and being, you know, you have to step up. And so either if, if it's because you have to step up, or because you want to step up, that's what happens is women play this masculine role um, and it sometimes gets reinforced accidentally and they just perpetuate it. And so when you, when you really are honest with yourself, a woman is, in my opinion, much happier when she's able to be led, uh, when she can respect her partner and trust that he's going to take care of things in general. Like he's someone that can get up and make things happen, that He's someone that creates some sense of control and, and 
fat, like a foundation of calm and, and groundedness, almost like a father figure in a way, you know, not to be strange, but just there's that sense of, of a, of a stability that, um, that you need when you have a very feminine energy and sure. most women are just disconnected from that. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because when I talk to different people and I observe different people in relationships and whatnot, and just the way Western society is going and changing, I don't even want to say evolving because I feel like it's actually regressing in certain areas, in my personal opinion. But um, it, it's always funny because it comes back to this idea of the traditions work. Okay, so there are a lot of things that, you know, in terms of the, the male-female relationship dynamics, both in terms of attraction and also in terms of relationships and long-term monogamous relationships, is there's a certain structure, allocation of resources and duty and dynamic that has largely been present throughout history in any stable civilization. And I think people in the modern world, in the modern West, are very, very quick to criticize it and want to completely change it, flip it on its head, try to make everything 50-50 and have equality in a way that is rather than these are two people of equal value and bringing an equal amount to the table. It's more like people want equality as in like the man and the woman are the same or the role is identical or certain things should be identical rather than equal, if you see what I mean. It's something I've noticed. And yes. as someone who's grown up in a range of different cultures, from growing up in Saudi Arabia to having my family be Nigerian, and then also living in the UK and being British, it's like when I look at long-term, very successful marriages, for the most part, that dynamic is pretty traditional. It's not mm -hmm. some super new age, feminist type marriage where the man you know, the man, the man is not leading in any way. You know, he's being weak. He's acting feminine. The woman is wearing the pants or being a lot more masculine or domineering or whatever. I'm not saying that can't work. I'm sure that does work for some people. But just knowing what women are generally attracted to and what they respect and what men are attracted to and what men respect, it's like you can fudge around with it. But if you move too far from yeah. the, the kind of core it's unlikely to work for the vast majority of people. So, and I think people have gotten so overly intellectual or trying to be so modern and so forward thinking that they kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and they're like, okay, like this whole thing, we need to, we need to tear it down. You know, I remember I, I caught some flack for this tweet, but I was saying something like, I think it's insane for a guy to marry a woman who would have a huge problem with taking his last name. Right. That was something I put out. And naturally, you know, I knew some people would disagree with it and whatever. But I'm just saying, like, look, I'm not married yet. But if I'm going to marry a woman and this is the woman I'm going to be with for the rest of my life and we're going to start a new family and we're going to have children and all this. And you've got a huge problem with adopting the same last name as me. That's like an ambulance light red flag to me. You're not going to compromise on that one? Like, what's going to come later down the line? Like, to me, it's just, it's like a warning sign. I would agree with you. I didn't, I didn't legally change my name. Um, I never, never wanted to change my name. Um, but I want to want to change my name for the person okay. that I marry for the rest I of my you. life. Yeah. So I know now, what I know now is going to lead me to selecting the right person for me that I will fill that role that I know is healthiest mm. uh, for a, a long-term, lifelong relationship and partnership. Yeah, That's, it's really interesting. Like, I think as I, maybe as I get older as well, like when I was younger, I mean, there were loads of things that I used to question more, even the whole idea of marriage, you know, when I was like in my late teens, early 20s, I kind of went through that phase of, oh, you know, it would be cool to just be a bachelor for life and have no kids, have, <laughs> have no wife. And just, and then like, as I kind of approached 30, I was like, nah, that would actually suck. Like that would suck. You know, <laughs> you're kind of like thinking about it properly and you're thinking about what everybody before you has done and why they've done it. Especially, I almost feel like it's a little bit arrogant in a way to assume you just know better than the thousands and millions of people 
your own ancestors and outside right. them who, who all came before you. And you're just going to be like, you know what? No, I know better. And I'm just going to do things this way. And again, it might work for some people, but I think for the vast majority. But for how long does it work for them? That's yeah. that's how I see it, because it's great to say, oh, well, I'm the exception. And then 10 years down the line, you're eating your words and you're coming to see me for marriage therapy or therapy because you're devastated because you're it, it ended and you thought you had everything figured out. So the way I like to describe it to people is it's a developmental thing. So it, 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 it all depends on what you're prioritizing in your stage of life. So whether it's age-related, whether it's cognitive development, you know, you're just like in a funk, you're in a certain phase of your life for your own individual reasons, mm -hmm. you might want to be in an open relationship because you want to work through your attachment issues or your jealousy issues or your ability to have multiple types of love and, and figure out how to work all that <laughs> together without World War III. Do you know what I mean? Like there's certain characteristics that each type of relationship develops. And mm -hmm. so for the PUA group, it develops confidence. It develops, you know, mastery and, and, and masculinity and sexual prowess or whatever, you know? So all of that is important, but that's a layer. Um, if you are going to look at a, a human lifespan, in order to get to the highest points of self-actualization through a lifespan, the, the highest point of enlightenment and all that stuff comes with service. So the type of relationship that would require is a monogamous partnership because it's sacrificing something for the greater good, for leaving a legacy, for carrying on, for service as a parent, but in a family unit is far different, I'm sorry, than being a, a, a broken family. And I'm not saying you can't make the best of it. Of course you can. But mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not the same experience. It just isn't the same experience for all of those involved. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I've, that's something I very strongly advocate. I'm from a big traditional family in all those regards. So I've seen it work a zillion times for across the board in our family. And I think we're all the better for it. So I'm not going to try to invent my own model. Exactly. But what, what I've realized is how important the sexual, um, biological components are, because I didn't before. I mean, I've always been a, a, a like my energy is very intense. Um, like I have a very strong energy. I, I don't like the word intense. It has like a negative connotation to it. Okay. But you know what I mean? Like I make people feel light and, and happy, but it's it's a very powerful energy. And you could describe it as as there's a sexual component to it very sensual, whatever, and passionate, all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Before, more recently, like since marriage and post, like I've been sort of really coming to terms with what is my authentic expression of that and, and how to sort of, you know, look for what I want or know what I want or how I need to express myself. And like now I've been celibate for 13 months and I'm single. So it's <laughs> difficult to... It can be difficult to do that, but you know what? I'm not having a hard time at it. Whereas I thought like 13 months ago that I didn't actually like plan to do this. I no longer wanted to um, do any more trial and errors. I want to make sure yeah. the next time that I'm with someone, because I, the last time I had a boyfriend 13 months ago, I mm -hmm. was with him for six months and it ended badly. And it's not like he broke my heart, but he did some really shady things and it, re it made me realize, like, you can really call people, like, wrong. Like, you can just get it wrong. Really, really. Yeah, sure. Like, bad, you know, they are just some bad people out there that do bad things. And I don't want to invest in someone that I don't know for sure is on the up and up with me. Yeah. And, and I definitely don't want to give any more of myself away um, to someone that doesn't, doesn't earn it or doesn't deserve it. Yeah. It's such a fascinating topic. As I've gotten older and older, not that I'm old, I'm still a young guy, right? But as I've gotten <laughs> older, um, I've basically come to really, really have a deep understanding and appreciation of kind of the old school, conservative, traditional model of relationships, to put it simply, both for the man's sake and for the woman's sake. It's so funny, like, so many of the problems that exist in modern Western society, so many things stem from this huge several decade long experiment, basically, of, you know what, like, forget this 
monogamy, marriage, family unit thing. Let's just go super hyper liberal on all this stuff and just encouraging, I don't know, whether it's hookup culture or just, you know, mad sleeping around both on the parts of man, the man and the woman and fatherless homes, single mothers, like all this, all the stuff that comes with it, unwanted pregnancy, like so much. I don't think people necessarily appreciate the amount of stuff that comes with it and all the repercussions. You know, a lot of people laugh at people who are like hyper conservative when it comes to sex and relationships and all that. You know, people people laugh at it or think, oh, it's backwards or it's silly or whatever. But I look at it and I'm like, you know what? For the most part, it works. Like, like, like it works. I mean, if you in America, you know, if you look at like the Mormon community, something like that, or yeah. you look in other, you know, I'm just like, people can say what they want, but I'm like, they are solid. They are stable and they are multiplying. Right. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're multiplying. I mean, everyone else is like, people are literally demographically phasing, phasing out. I mean, in Europe, mm-hmm. every single, every single country in Europe has a negative birth rate. Like people aren't even replacing themselves. Wow. And this, you know, every it's negative, like every and country. It surprises me that some of the, the opposition that I'm getting is is criticizing the viewpoint saying, well, you know, sex is healthy. Why do you hate sex so much? I'm like, uh, honey, <laughs> nobody said that I don't like sex. I like sex plenty fine. And look at the, you know, those sorts of very conservative marriages and they have plenty of children, right? Yep. And everyone's happy and there's no there's no STDs and no one is being raised without a dad. Unless he like, you know, passes away from some disease or right, something, yeah. you know, generally it's just like those communities, they're just, they're tight, they're solid, they help each other out. The kids grow up, they do the same thing. It keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. I'm like, okay, that's, there you go, that's going. And then on the other, on the other side, you've kind of got, I don't know, you know, it, wor- it works out for some people, but like you were saying about people taking the vows too lightly and mm-hmm people just entering in things without really thinking long-term, you know, about what they're really saying, like what it really means. I'm a very loyal person. That was never the issue for me. There was no infidelity in in the marriage or in the, like in that process of leaving. But so the forsake all others isn't necessarily the hardest part. It's the other stuff that is probably more, less understood of what that partnership requires um, and knowing that there's going to be a lot of fluctuations and conflict and stress and crises. When you're taking those vows, you really are supposed to be saying, doesn't matter if I change my mind, you know? No, this is, this is it. I might sound like a complete hypocrite for saying that, but the reason is because so many of us have or will continue to marry the wrong person. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm emphasizing marry the right person or a right person. I'm sure yeah. there's more than one person you can marry. I'm not saying there's only one person in the world for you, but most people are marrying the wrong person. And that's the problem. That's why we're having such a difficulty because I don't, I wouldn't want people to, to stay in a marriage that makes them miserable, makes their kids, you know, unhealthy. And, you know, that's not good either. So teaching, my focus is on teaching people how to identify the correct partnership. Okay. And how do you identify that? Mostly it's one, knowing yourself, like that process of you have to strip away all those layers of social, you know, um, just the image that you're projecting for the sake of um, fitting in or making people happy or whatever, playing by the rules. You have to really get to who you are. And that part of the process is hard enough in and of itself. And most people are nowhere near doing that. And then they want to jump into a long-term relationship. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you're way ahead of yourself. You got to back it up and like deconstruct yourself a bit. Make sure you know what the heck you want out of life Mm -hmm. and what makes you happy. Not just find somebody that's going to somehow make you happy or meet your needs that you're not meeting yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So figuring out who you are first, um, what your values are, being able to self-regulate, like I said, is extremely important in order to have a healthy relationship. So those are the, the core elements of, of just looking at it from an individual side of it. And then when you're looking, you know, outward to a person, well, I didn't mention like the femininity or masculinity part, cause that's a little bit more nuanced, but basically that's involved in all of that. Like being self-aware is knowing where you, where your equilibrium is. This would be a good one for you. I call it the equalizer. So it's literally like a sound equalizer and you've got all the little, you mm-hmm. know, levels 
and they can fluctuate. You're not trying to, you know, have them all in the middle. That's not balance. Balance is figuring out wh- where they lie and then adjusting them as you go about your life. Okay. <laughs> so as a, someone who deals with counseling in marriage and relationships, mm-hmm. what are the most common problems people come to you with? A lot of times it's just having conflicts in your value system. When you're looking for your partner, once you know your values, you're going to be aligning that with the person that you seek. So you have to know what your deal breakers are, but making sure that um, they have the same sort of trajectory in mind for their ideal life. So, you know, you might not be able to plan out what your life is going to be like as an individual versus as a couple, but in general, You know, you want to be stationary, you want to be mobile, you want to, you know, if there are religious values that are particular to your upbringing, if it's about uh, political views, like certain value systems around uh, the way that you live your life, if you're you're very active, like that's another one that's important. If you, you know, you have different um, daily uh, routines, Mm -hmm. then it can be really hard to align those. And you want to have that sexual connection, that polarity, that complementarity, and that you don't have to negotiate it, that it's just more innate, that you have that spark. There is a way, if you want to say have it all, the whole package, however you call it, it's, it's definitely essential to find someone that it sort of triggers both sides of you, your brain and your body. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you can't pick one or the other. That, I think, is what's happening in society is that we've disconnected our minds and our bodies. And so either feminists, for instance, or even if it's not just a woman, if it's just like a hedonistic lifestyle, people are disconnected from their, from their, from their minds, their souls, whatever you want to call it. And they're just using their bodies, you know, um, and that's desensitizing them. And or maybe some people are overthinking it too much and they're, you know, they're in their heads, they're more neurotic. So being able to to choose someone wisely, I guess the other element is that, you know, if you choose someone with your brain, but not your body, they're good on paper, right? That's that saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you do that, then you're going down the wrong path too, because then you're not really connected to them in that natural way. Um, you might not even respect them. You're not going to be listening to them for your entire life and following their lead, that's for sure, or vice versa, if it's the woman, if she just looks good on paper, but really, when you know no one's around, you're actually thinking about other things and yeah. everything that she's not. Then yeah. that's going to create distance between the two of you as well. So having both elements is important. Now you just have to figure out how much, right? How yeah. much of of body and how much of mind and soul you you need in order to have a successful relationship. I was um, I'm just thinking. I'm just I'm just thinking of the way to phrase the next question that. I've got it kind of in my brain. I'm just trying to put it together. Give it to me. Just <laughs> so, <laughs> so at the moment, it seems like there's a weird disconnect. And some of it, I think, is being intentionally pushed. I feel like there's a wedge which is being driven between the sexes. Like yes, to me definitely. at this point, I think it's quite I think it's quite obvious that it's not by accident. What do you, what do you think are the main challenges facing both men and women that might be one question or two questions in the modern day western world you know people think i criticize women too much but it's because i am a woman so i'm invested right mm-hmm. um women have a very hard time uh admitting that they're wrong or that they're not perfect they invest a lot in projecting that image to the world, right? It's just embedded in in how we've been socialized. So this is how criticism and all this opposition, this anger, the mob of hate that that comes at us, whether it's me or men saying it. When I did that post about how to develop girlfriend material or whatever, (laughs) girlfriend material. So so the part about fertility, okay, fertility is a biological fact. And then, you know, Women will defend to the, to the death that it's not fair, right? The mm-hmm. injustice of it. Like, or you could just say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm less fertile than a 20-year-old. So, like, then what? That's where it, the good stuff is at is yeah. then what? It's just the same as, like, if a man is six foot tall or if he's five foot one. 
-hmm. Okay, let me not fight it. It's fact, right? You just have to deal with the facts. And men have an ability to at least, in the majority, comparatively, they can say, yeah, you know, this part sucks, but I'm going to do something about it or not. But they don't, they're not invested in disproving it, like being delusional about it or something, you know? So that's what I see from women is a lot of work that needs to go into developing women into being more logical, you know, like it doesn't have to mean masculine, but just to be able to self-regulate and be able to be mature in their emotionality. You can have more of a balance. And, And I think we're just women are, are enabled to be that way. And, and I don't think that's good. I think when it comes to obviously the things that make a man attractive to a woman or the things that make a woman attractive to a man are not the same. A lot of women don't get this. I, I've noticed this in my experience because they'll be talking about, uh, <laughs> this, this is going to sound bad, but I don't care. Right. So for example, someone will be, I don't know, I'll be talking to a woman. Maybe she's talking about one of her friends and she's telling me or some other guy like how great she is. And she's telling me about her, her degree and her achievements and how much money she earns or whatever. And I'm like, is she hot? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, they're like, no, no, but like all this. And I'm like, look, she could work in McDonald's, right? If she's like very, very attractive and she's pleasant to be around with, I can assure you she'll be getting tons of male attention. She could be like the CEO of some company. She could be literally be earning like millions a year. If she's not attractive, like physically, like I think as a guy, you could have a guy who's not physically attractive, but is, I don't know, famous or super rich or behaves a certain way. And he could still be, he'd still do very well. But a lot of people hate this or want to deny it or just don't understand it or whatever. But I'm kind of like, look, it just is what it is. Men are very we're very visual creatures. It doesn't mean that looks are everything, not at all, but it means that looks are very important. And so are certain behavioral characteristics. When a guy's, you know, looking at a woman, he's not thinking, oh, what's her, you know, what's her job? What's her career? You know, like it's important to a little degree, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, these things are very low on the totem pole. You know what I mean? I mean, the the advantages and disadvantages of both sex, as far as I'm concerned, kind of cancel each other out. I think there's clearly some ways that females have an advantage and there are clearly some ways that guys have an advantage. So here's a great example. Most men understand that women generally prefer men who are taller. Okay. But a short guy isn't going to spend his whole life campaigning to try to change society's perception and change what women are attracted to, to make women attracted to shorter guys. Do you see what I mean? He'd rather just go like, you know what? I'll make up for it in these other things. I'm going to hit the gym. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to dress well. I'm going to do all this. Whereas some women, this certainly seems more prevalent amongst women, say they're very overweight, okay? And they know that generally men prefer slimmer women. But rather than just going, okay, you know what? I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. God bless those who do. But there's this whole movement of, you know what? Instead, we need to change society. We need to change society standards. Mm-hmm. These men, these men are bigots. We need to show them that fat women are beautiful too. So rather than just going, okay, you know what? Let me try to do something I can do. It's mm-hmm. like, let me know. Let me go try to change the entire male idea of attraction, which I think is always going to be a losing battle. Yeah. And, and this reminds me of like the well-behaved child. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus the child who just rebels against any kind of authority. Uh, We don't have a lot of that anymore. We don't have a lot of that sort of strict upbringing. And I'm not talking about corporal punishment, but a child that can have deference for their parent and really that element is missing from women that they they they're so oppositional when it comes to male dominance that they've Mm -hmm. gone this other way and they refuse to give in. So the whole of like everything that's happened in the you know mid to late 1900s to now has enabled this mentality to become more deep seated and embedded in the female psyche. Mm-hmm. And because we've done a lot of damage to ourselves, too, now where we really are doubling down and tripling down into it. Yeah. And in order for us to be able to release and, and grow from that, we have to admit 
what is right and wrong. I feel, no, I think that we're at that teetering point where it's going to it's going to get really bad because they're going to go have their sort of the build up to the last bit of the panic. <laughs> they really yeah. want to, you know, oppose this, but we're going, we're going to turn and we're, we're going to even out a bit. It, it's, it's going to, it's going to change. Uh, that's my vision, my prediction, my prophecy. One thing that it keeps coming back to on this podcast, funnily enough, is binary thinking and people just <laughs> not having any nuance. So if someone says X or someone even suggests X. Yeah. It's like people think you're trying to, or people misinterpret it as you're issuing some law or legal decree <laughs> yes. of what you must think happens, right? So if I say, I don't know, I could jump on Twitter and say something like, you know what, I think it's better if people get married before having children. That's my personal opinion. Some people might disagree with me on that, but say, say I state that opinion, right? Then some people will take it like, oh, don't tell me what to do. Or, exactly. I, or I know someone who didn't do that and it worked fine. Or, uh, oh, you're, you're a fascist because you're trying to, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a law. I'm just right. saying, yes. this, based on my observation and data that I've observed, I think that this is a good idea. I think it's good for a man to have a job. Oh, are you, you're being, you're being biased against people who are unemployed. You're not thinking about this. I'm, I'm like, I did, did, did I? What, tell me where I said any of this, right? right. It's, not, it's not like a, it's not a complex thing. You know, you recommend people going to the, you recommend that people eat a healthy diet and go to the gym. People will start to flame you for saying why they know somebody who, you know, their uncle's dog's boyfriend uh, has, has, a has a thyroid issue and is therefore overweight because they have a thyroid. I'm like, look, I don't care. And I'm talking yeah. about like 99.9% .9 of people here. And I'm also mm -hmm. not forcing anything. I'm just saying we're all trying to help people here for the most part. I don't, it's, it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. It, it takes a, a particular type of person to be in this position, you know, and, and, and speak up freely and take the heat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's what what this has created is however, you know, I don't know every free thinker out there, but how, <laughs> the, whatever this group is that I now feel I belong to, um, it's, it's happened for a reason and we're going to be a part of that turn. Everybody has a role and as long as you're doing it for the right reasons and you're yourself, then you're not hurting anybody else. But that's the thing is people are so sensitive and they think that the threshold for, for offense <laughs> is like... <laughs> I don't know, like not even a paper cut, like the threat of a paper cut. Yeah. You talked about a uh, criticism that you receive. One, who is the majority of it from? And two, what kind of posts or statements do you find generate criticism and why? Gosh, that is a very hard thing to answer, literally, because I get so much hate from so many people. Um, <laughs> it's really crazy. I think it's important for everyone to know that Taylor does not post anything remotely offensive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is the most of the, I'm assuming, but I don't know, is most of the criticism from women? Yes. I even got a theoretical colleague. She's a, a professional that I, I actually, I think I applied to um, do a training with her years ago. She's like a, the matriarch of some type of therapy. And she okay. trolled me yesterday too. She uh, quote tweeted that same one about girlfriend material and said she laughed she's like ha 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 a, a famous relationship expert um said this or whatever and this is like what did she say it's lousy archaic sexist suggestions and that's not what makes a healthy relationship the research says uh healthy relationships are when you're you know, open and emotional and, and connecting and because that's what her theory is about. It's emotionally okay. focused uh, couples therapy. Sure. And I respect I respect her work. But this is what we're up against is just all these women sort of, you know, really trying to emasculate men and make them into into women while they're in control and telling them what's what, you know, what they want them to do, basically. Yeah. The response to that one that I saw that came onto my, I didn't even bother replying to it, but, uh -huh. um, there was a guy who literally took an issue with every single bullet point you put. He put that the <laughs> ma material was 
objectifying, lock down the, he had an issue with the fact he used the verb lock and this was signifying <laughs> the, the patriarchy imprisoning a woman or something. And every, he had, he had, a, he had a, something for every single bullet point. And I was like, wow, the, the speech police has arrived, like came with like, his, hor his horns blaring. I was just like, wow. Okay, dude, like have fun with your life, man. Like, there is an alternate reality, right? If we were to fail, we're, which we're not, we're going to succeed. But the alternate reality is so bleak. I mean, if you see those <laughs> sci-fi movies that, you know, people are walking around in like weird uniforms and they're not allowed to make eye contact or, you know, that would be the alternate reality we're headed towards. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like that oh, of course picture? I do. Like, it, 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 like, that's what they actually are creating, but they don't have the, per, like, the conceptual ability to project onto, it's not even long-term in their life, but you have to see <laughs> the end game to things, and they don't think that way. Like, all of us that are free thinkers have that strategizing ability, mm -hmm. um, and that's what they're afraid of, because we're actually quite skilled and powerful people, and they don't want us to do malicious things to them, but we're the reasonable people that want everybody to be happy. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's funny, I'm not trying to diss anybody, but it's always funny to, on Twitter, to look at the people who are complaining about certain things or making certain statements, because whether it's a man or a woman, I can almost always predict what they're gonna look like by reading, like if I read the thing, before I go on their profile or whatever, I, I can normally tell what they're going to look like. And I have never seen a mass, a traditionally masculine looking guy comment negatively or have a harsh criticism about any of this stuff. Not from you, not from anyone else. It's always a guy who looks like very frail, never stepped in the gym in his life, just looks weak, like just literally looks weak. And they're the ones who are always jumping in on this like super pro hyper progressive feminist type hype you know like i'm an ally i'm an ally look at how virtuous i am and it's just something i've noticed and something i found i find quite comical and you know or or the criticisms you won't you'll you'll rarely see it from like an attractive woman you know what i mean it's always someone who doesn't look necessarily like guys would be fawning over them that is probably the parallel for the women who are not, they don't have, you know, they just can't control the things that they don't have going for them. It's the men that maybe they have low testosterone, they're not fit, um, they've been effeminized by women their whole lives, or they've just bought into that because that's yeah. how they felt that they fit in. Mm -hmm. So their, their female energy is high because of that, but also maybe biologically their testosterone levels are low. Yeah. Right. So it's probably both of those elements. So, you know, in order for them to change, they really got to confront the things that they can control. And there are ways to do that. So you can literally like the, I was talking to somebody the other day who really intelligent man, but he got bought into sort of the, the bringing out his feminine side as being a better person as a man. Mm -hmm. And I challenged him saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with you being masculine, but everybody has a different sort of natural personality. So you have to figure out what's the best for your own self-expression. When you have more of a masculine energy as a heterosexual man, you're more healthy. If you're a, a you know, a homosexual man or bisexual man, then you're going to have maybe less masculine energy and that makes sense for you. But as a heterosexual man, you should have more masculine energy than feminine energy. It doesn't mean you can't have any feminine energy. Did you just suggest that I should be a man just because I'm a man? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in terms of what you've got planned for this year, have you got uh, any exciting news, any particular plans, any New Year's resolutions, anything like that you wanted to share? I'm really excited. I am uh, downsizing all the belongings that I have in this apartment, and I'm going to be moving in stages back to Miami at first. I'm going to help my mom out a bit, but my goal is to be flexible. Um, I, my two things that I'm doing is I'm, you know, becoming financially healthy and independent and, and able to sort myself out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to select a partner that to be loving, you know, supportive 
whether it's girlfriend or wife or whatever ends up being is fine, but just a partner for the man that, I, that I'm going to devote myself to for the rest of my life and have some kids. So I don't know where I'm going to end up and I'm okay with that, but I'm going to start in Miami, drop some stuff, but be mobile and figure it out. Awesome. Well, I wish you good luck with all that. And where can people <laughs> find you online? Best way is my website and Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, but it's, uh, you might put it in the notes, but drtaylorburrows.com is my website and at taylorburrows, and you'll spell it out in the notes for Twitter and Instagram as well. People aren't really on Facebook anymore, but you can find me there too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank you, Zuby. Have an awesome day. You too. Bye. Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame.